Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 13. John 13, our text this morning will be verses 31 to 35. Before we read this passage together, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are mindful that we can come to your word or come to the act of preaching and try to accomplish these things in our own strength. But Lord, we, we do believe that we cannot even believe apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, much less read the Bible or preach or hear preaching. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would use your word in our lives so that we might look into the mirror and not forget ourselves, but having seen ourselves as we are, uh, to be compelled uh, by the very image of Christ that we see, to desire to be more like him. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this past week, I read a short piece by a pastor named Greg Post who serves uh, a church in Toronto called Sanctuary. Uh, Sanctuary's mission is to reach those uh, on the streets of Toronto who we would probably call down and out, drug addicts, transients, prostitutes, others. One of the points that Post was making in this article was that for many of these folks who end up living on the street and sleeping on the street uh, is that they don't really sleep soundly out there. And in fact, the only place where many of these folks actually can sleep deeply uh, and profoundly is when they come to the church building during worship service uh, and fall asleep there. Uh, as a result, Sanctuary opens their building not, not just during worship services, but especially during worship services, knowing that folks from the streets will come and fall asleep and they bless them as they sleep to, to sleep restfully. There was one particular uh, evening service uh, where uh, a transient named John uh, was sleeping in the front doorway. I imagine him right over there in our sanctuary uh, during the worship service. Uh, and he was snoring loudly, sleeping deeply, uh, when all of a sudden he startled awake and disoriented, confused, uh, half awake. John cried out in the midst of the service, what I want to know is, can I be forgiven? Uh, 
course, that's a great question. And it's a question that's akin to a, a similar one. Can I be loved? Because, of course, to know forgiveness, to have our guilt dealt with, to have our shame covered, to be welcomed as a brother or a sister, to be taken in as a friend, that's what it is to know love. And so can we be loved? And if, if so, how will we know love? Well, this isn't really profound, but, but we will only know love if someone else loves us. And so who's supposed to love us? Well, Jesus tells us three times in this passage that we are supposed to love one another, which, which means if, if, if I'm going to be loved, then, then you need to love me. And if you're going to be loved, then I'm go- going to need to love you. And that love must look concrete. It looks like forgiveness and compassion. It will look like making room and welcome. It will look like listening well and speaking well. It might even look like opening our homes and and our spaces, our hearts for those who are the least of these. You see, that's what Jesus is calling us to here in this place in John 13. This is his command. It's his mission for us. And he tells us it starts now. It starts now. We've already seen this language of, in both John 12 and John 13, of, of the hour now here. Jesus' hour, at the accomplishment of his mission and his purpose in God's world. He said in John chapter 12, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he goes on, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, he remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then at the beginning of this chapter, in John chapter 13, verse 1, John says of Jesus, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So we've already heard this language of Jesus' hour having come, that the hour is now. But this section here in verse 31 opens the same way. When he had gone out, that is Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Now we've already come to understand that that the Son of Man's glory is not going to be seen in the way that Israel would have expected. Israel expected when the Messiah came for his glory to be seen in, in military power, in reestablishing the Israel state, the, uh, uh, bringing the kingdom of God to bear in Palestine. But that's, that's not how Jesus' glory would be seen. It's not how the Son of Man's glory would be displayed. No, the Son of Man's glory would be seen as he is crucified. And this hour, the hour of his glory in the cross, is now here. But Jesus goes one step further. Not just that his glory would be seen in his crucifixion, his glory would also be seen in his ascension, that he is going back to the Father. He, 
he had already told us this in John's gospel. He had told the Jews in John 7, I will be with you a little while longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, where I am you cannot come. But here in our passage this morning, Jesus says the same thing to the disciples. You see it in verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews back there in John 7, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But why? Why does Jesus have to go away? Why is this conducive to his glory being seen, being made manifest? It's already hard enough to wrap our heads around how his glory would be seen in the cross. How is Jesus' glory seen in his going back to the Father? Why must he go away? Well, he's going to tell us in the next section that he has to go away to prepare a place for us. He, he has to go away to make sure that your room is ready in God's mansion. He has to go away to continue to do work for us. To be sure, the work of redemption is finished. When he cried out on the cross, it is finished. He meant it. But he continues to plead and to intercede for you and me. Five bleeding wounds I bear received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They, they loudly pre plead for these. Forgive him. Forgive her, they cry. Don't let that ransom sinner die. And so Jesus had to go away in order for the mission to be accomplished, in order for his glory to be seen now. But while he goes away, while he is returned to the Father, and while he continues this good work, Jesus has something for us to do. And he tells us this in a new command. Now, he says it in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, those of you who know something of your Bibles, you may be wondering, well, how so? How is this a new commandment? After all, in, in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus is asked the question by a lawyer, uh, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Jesus says, oh, the, the greatest commandment is to, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He takes Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, squishes them together. And so, so in many ways, this command to love one another... It's already in the Old Testament scriptures. How is it new? How so? Well, it's new, at least in part. It's new because of a different standard. What does Jesus say? That you love one another just as I have loved you. Whereas before, our own self-love was the standard, was the measure for how I might love another. Here, Jesus says, my own love for you is the new standard. And his love for us is seen in his deeds, in his concrete actions of humble, self-sacrificial, dying love. 
Already at the beginning of this chapter, we, we had an example of this, didn't we? Jesus washing his disciples' feet, showing that he was taking the, the lowest place, the, the place of a servant, becoming obedient to all things, but especially death on the cross. And in chapter 15, we'll hear Jesus say, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. And he lays down his life for his friends. And so we put these things together and we, we hear that this just as is this, just as Jesus gave himself sacrificially for others in concrete deeds, so must we. But I think there's a little bit more here because Jesus' deeds of self-sacrifice were actually motivated by his delight in us. In fact, his delight leads to his deeds in ways that are hard for us to understand the god of the bible profoundly loves and delights in his own for example in in isaiah's prophecy and talking about zion's salvation isaiah in isaiah 62 says you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall be no more termed desolate but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land shall be called married. Why? Well, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You see, God's love is such that his delight leads to deeds. He delights in you. He rejoices in you. And because that's the case, he seeks you. He sends Jesus to die for you. He forgives you. What is it that John says elsewhere? In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. How do we know? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is how we're to love one another delight that leads to deeds. In fact, we will not sacrificially love one another. We will not give ourselves away. We will not sacrifice in deeds of love unless we delight in each other. Now, let's be honest here. If you're like me at all, this is where the hang-up is. This just as. Because it seems like an impossible standard. It seems like a, a kind of law, a kind of recruit, requirement or, or duty. And to be sure, we could probably do some measure of our duty to, to do some kind of concrete actions of care and concern. I can do things that appear um, to be loving others out of duty or sacrificing myself, my health, my family. I can do all of that and, and not fulfill this new command. John Piper talk, has an illustration in his book, Desiring God, of a, of a husband who, uh, on his wedding anniversary, shows up with long stem roses and uh, he brings them to his wife. And she says, oh, thank you so much. They're beautiful. Thank you so much for this loving action. And he says, oh, don't mention it. They did cost a little bit, but it was just doing my duty. Probably not going to go too well for you guys. 
if you come home on your anniversary and give a gift and say you're doing it out of your duty, right? Uh, no wife wants to hear about duty. They want to hear about delight that motivated the, the duty. And it's the same thing here. It's simply not possible to love one another while Jesus is away unless there's not just a new command, but a new desire, a new heart to accomplish that command. You see, I'll never be able to fulfill this command unless there's a new want to, to see you as desirable and delightful and glorious. Until that happens, until there's a new desire, I'll never put myself on the line and neither will you. So the only way that, that you and I can see each other as desirable and delightful and in fact glorious is if we see Jesus first. Ultimately, our delights and our desires and our longings must be directed to the only one who can satisfy them. The only one who can take all the, the confusion and, and, and self-regard and turn it rightly because it's focused on himself. Of course, because Jesus is the glorified one. He's the one who was humiliated in our place. He was the one who's exalted to the right hand of God the Father. He's the beautiful Savior. He's the one whose unsearchable riches and, and immeasurable delights, they grow, they, they grow greater and greater in our eyes. They're new each morning. And so because he's glorious and because he's beautiful, I must delight myself in him over and over again. And when I see him as beautiful, I, I can't help but see you as beautiful as well. Why? Because you're just as united to Jesus as I am. Right? When we're united to Jesus, what's true of him is true of us. We like that with ourselves. Because I'm united to Jesus, what's true of him is true of me, so I'm just as righteous in God's sight as Jesus is. I'm just as holy. I'm a son, just like him. I'm glorious in God's sight. But that's, that's not just true of me. You're just as united to Jesus as I am, which means what? You're beautiful. You're glorious. You're holy. You're delightful. When, when we come to delight ourselves in Jesus and then to delight ourselves in those in whom Jesus delights, we suddenly have a new motivation, a new desire. Because here's the reality. On our own, apart from Jesus, we're not really that desirable. And we're not really that delightful or glorious. We're, we're sinners rebellious, backstabbers, jealous, bitter, mean, angry, fearful, lustful, anxious, controlling, thieving, uh, insecure. We're, we're messes. We can hurt one another profoundly in ways that we intend and ways we don't intend with words and actions that, that we store up for a lifetime. And yet, because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the just as, because we've been loved this way with delight that leads to deeds, we are actually able to have a new desire, a new delight that leads to real love for each other. And here's the thing. This is how others will actually know that we belong to Jesus. Jesus. 
That's, that's what Jesus says at the end of the passage, isn't it? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In, in other words, our delight in one another and our desire for one another that leads to concrete sacrificial deeds for each other is actually the mark, we might say the uniform, by which the rest of the world sees that we are Jesus's disciples. I mean, we know how this works in, in sports and other things. I mean, you can tell who is a fan of the Memphis Grizzlies by how many John Morant jerseys they own. Uh, unfortunately, I keep buying them um, because, and my wife doesn't like that, but I'm so sorry. Um, right? I mean, you, you know because of the uniform. But, but Jesus is telling us here that, that the uniform, the badge, the mark of a disciple by which the rest of the world will see us and know us as his disciple is our delight in one another that leads to deeds of love for one another. But here's the thing. The converse is also true. Namely, if people do not see us loving one another, they will doubt with good reason that we're on Jesus' team, that we're actually followers of Jesus. Francis Schaeffer made that point so well in his little book, uh, The Mark of the Christian. This is what Schaeffer said. He said, Jesus turns to the world and says, I have something to say to you. On the basis of my authority, I give you a right. You may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the basis of the love he shows to all Christians. In other words, if people come up to us and cast in our teeth the judgment that we are not Christians because we have not shown love toward other Christians, we must understand they are only exercising a prerogative which Jesus gave them. And we must not get angry. If people say, you don't love other Christians, we must go home, get down on our knees, and ask God whether or not what they say is true. And if it is, then they have the right to have said what they said. Now that's sobering. It's sobering to think that the, the apologetic, as Schaefer will say later in this little booklet, uh, that we're giving is not the final apologetic of love for one another, but actually raising questions about whether we've understood the gospel at all. And it very well may be that we sit here convicted and we say, no, I have not loved, either by, by deeds, but, but especially with delight. I've not delighted in other believers. I've not found my, my truest relationships uh, among those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Not, not encouraged one another, not not loved. What do I do? What well, brings us back to the beginning, doesn't it? We're, we began this message. The one thing I want to know is, can anyone be forgiven? Yes, we can be forgiven. How do we know? How's that possible? For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know we can be forgiven because we've been loved. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, Spirit, we do come as your people this morning, desiring the very mind of Christ. 
And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, dwell in us and that especially your love would fill us in such a way that, that we would not only delight in one another um, and so be motivated to deeds of love, but may the rest of the world around us know that we are Christians by our love. Lord, grant us this grace we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.